Um, my main points in this, just kind of in case we get lost along the way, Christ turns suffering into something hopeful. The kind of hope that Christ brings isn't just a hallmarky type nice feeling, but it's so powerful and so rich that it actually transforms suffering into something hopeful. That's wild. It's wild stuff. Christ's hope, um, one of the main things that it does scripturally is it, is it gives us endurance and stamina. It helps us endure and have stamina. Um, and you can't have Christ's hope without Christ. Uh, in our world today, there's a lot of people who want the goodness of what Christ brings, but they reject the Christ. They want the kingdom type stuff, but they don't want the king. And uh, the truth is you can't have the hope of Christ without Christ. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. So Colossians 1, 24 through 27, they read it in one version. I'm going to read it in the ESV now because there's this phrase that's very important and I want us to um, have in our brains for the rest of our lives, if not the rest of today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul is writing to the church family in Colossae and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the sermon title right there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's big time stuff. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Yeah, it's cold. We gotta get warmed up somehow. Um, so hope is a funny thing. There's light and fluffy hopes and then there's kind of the deeper, more profound stuff. We all hope the Cardinals will win. Or at least used to. We all hoped that the D-backs would win the World Series. Was it too soon? Too soon? Too soon? No. We actually had no hope in the D-backs, so we're all still rejoicing over that. Um, we all hope that our government leaders uh, will make wise decisions, act honorably, and bring peaceful resolutions to very difficult issues here and abroad. Just seeing what kind of people we're dealing with, you know. Just every once in a while a little silence just to see what emerges. It's good. That's good. You guys are very hopeful. Um, these are little hopes which can make us bummed for a day or two or an hour or maybe a short season. Um, but we don't really invest tons of hope there. And now on a heavier note, some of our lives have not become what we thought they would be or what we hoped they would be. Some of us have had hope of living out our days with a spouse, and now they're gone for whatever reason. Some of us had the hope of a newborn baby, and now they're gone. Or some of us had hope of kind of growing old with your children there, but through different rebellious stuff or whatever, it's now an area of tension. Maybe you lost a friend or your health in a way you never expected. And the heaviness of that is it hits very different. 
Proverbs tells us that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of these deep, deep, profound hopes, when they are deferred, they create a deep, deep, profound sickness. One that's not easily fixed, one that can lead to despair of even life. And so what we need in this life, because life is challenging, we need a powerful hope. Um, anybody familiar with Les Mis? Les Miserables, it was a book, then it was a French play, and then it was you know, redone into an English version, and it became this super popular play. Um, and there's a song in there that I, is basically my go-to when I'm thinking about hope deferred and the sickness there. There's a lady, she sings, I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die and I prayed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, there was no song unsung and no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hopes apart and they turn your dreams to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And when you find yourself in these moments, which, which all of us have, and if you haven't, you will, and the hard thing that is that we have to deal with the reality that as long as we keep living in this life and in this state of being, there will be more tribulation, Jesus said. There will be more challenges. There will be more hopes deferred. And when that sickness comes, some people run to alcohol because it will numb the pain, but it'll poison the mind. Some people run to narcotics because it will kind of give you these hopeful feelings, false, but, but there nonetheless. But when you wake up from it, it leaves you stripped and dry and addicted. Some people just dive into work or new relationships, kind of trying to keep that, that despair just at bay as much as they can. But if they sit still for too long, they know it's just going to take over. We need a hope that is powerful. We need a hope that is stronger than death. We need a hope that is stubborn. Or as the Bible says, we need an anchor for our, for our soul. Hope is the anchor of our soul. So when the storms come and though we get tossed to and fro and we don't know if we're gonna make it, the anchor holds. This is the hope that Jesus came to bring. A stubborn hope, a relentless hope. There was a guy um, on a cross one time, a thief on a cross who was in agony. Most of you know the story. Um, there was actually three guys that were on crosses being crucified nailed to these, these, these beams of wood and struggling just to keep their breath. And there they were, and Jesus was in the middle. And on both sides there were thieves, two thieves, one on each side. And these thieves, we, we don't know a lot of details. We don't know what, what happened that day, kind of interacting with Jesus or whatever, that day before they're on the cross. We just know that we get this little glimpse into this moment when they're on the cross. And, and both both of these thieves are, are really hit with the despair. I mean, they know that it's the end. 
and one of them in his bitterness and in his frustration. We don't know what happened when he was a child, what his parents, we don't know any of the story that led up to this moment where he is just in total despair and he's about to die, but he is just full of bitterness and sickness. And then on the other side, there's this other thief. And we, we don't know again what happened. We know that he was on the cross and he actually said he deserved to be on that cross. He had been hit with the sickness and the sickness had caused him to do horrific things. And yet for some reason there was something in his heart. There was something of warmth. There was something that began to shine. There was something that began to break through as he watched Jesus in the way that he suffered and the way that he navigated his suffering and challenge and whatever interaction that he had had with Jesus or the people maybe that had told the story about this rabbi earlier in life. But in this moment of desperation, he looked at Jesus and he said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He just reached out a hand and said, Jesus, will you, will you take my hand? And Jesus, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus spoke words of hope, and that word of hope, that word of truth, that same voice that created the cosmos, spoke into that thief on that cross, and hope came to his heart. And we're gonna get to meet him someday. And we sang about that. He's a hero of faith now because of this one moment of hope, audacious hope. There was a woman at a well who had been used and abused and discarded by men, many men. She was alone and lost and isolated and avoiding interactions with people. And one day she met Jesus at a well and at first pushed him away. He was just another man looking for what he could take. Another man looking for what he could take. But after conversing with Jesus, she realized there was something different about him. And ultimately, she received what he was offering. And when that happened, her heart was filled with a wellspring of hope. Everything changed for her that day. And she immediately ran into town where all the people were. And she started telling them about this great man. Everything shifted. Everything shifted. Hope had come, and she was no longer alone. And then there was a young man of no significance at all. He was small-minded and super self-centered. His dreams were selfish and small, and he didn't even know it. One day, the spirit of Jesus whispered to him, do you want to stick with your self-centered plans, or do you want to see what living my way will produce? And I was about 17 when I chose to follow Jesus. And I was about 29 years ago, and I can tell you the hope of Jesus is not disappointed. There have definitely been seasons where the hope was harder to find. There were definitely been seasons of suffering and confusion. But as I've continued to hold on to Jesus' hand, he's seen me through to the other side where hope was there. And I'd seen that it was there all along. The anchor has held through some horrific storms. And I'm so thankful for the hope that Jesus brought. Emily Dickinson writes a poem She's real good with words. And she wrote a poem about hope that kind of speaks to the same thing, points at the same thing that the scriptures are, are, are teaching. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. 
and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that has kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never an extremity it asked a crumb of me. This is the kind of hope that Jesus brings. This is the kind of hope that God wants to give you now if you're in a season of suffering. And if you're not in a season of suffering, I'm telling you, you need this hope because suffering comes. And you need this hope. What Paul does talk about in these passages is very interesting the way he talks about hope. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying that he has found a hope that is more stubborn and powerful than all the things he has ever gone through. And he went through a lot. And he says there in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. That's crazy talk. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Basically in that little phrase he's saying, I've come to a place in my life where the hope that Jesus has brought has, is so present and accounted for, so consistent and faithful, that I now look at suffering very differently than I used to. When suffering comes, there's a part of me that goes, ah, it sucks. I hate suffering. But there's this other part of him that has now begun to say, God's at work. God's at work. This suffering is not meaningless. This suffering is going to produce something. And so I've learned to rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The good that usually happens when I go through suffering, yes, there's good for me, but there's also good produced for others. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. The second thing he says is kind of an echo of the first. He says in a different way that somehow my sufferings are filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That is not saying that Christ didn't complete the work on the cross. Christ completed everything. The work is the the debt is paid, the work is finished. But what Paul is realizing is that as he looks at Jesus and as he studies the life of Jesus, he's begun to realize that Jesus went through suffering for the benefit of other people. Just like a woman goes through suffering to give birth to new life, to a baby. You gotta see the baby. Seinfeld, anyone, anyone? No, no, so old now, you can't even talk about Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> but, but you go through that suffering and it produces something. He's noticed that Jesus suffered horrifically, unjustly, But his suffering has birthed a new kingdom. His suffering has birthed a family of believers. His suffering gave birth to the church. And now he's realizing that each and every time he suffers, it's like he's joining arms with Christ and and, and the suffering that he's going can give birth to something. The suffering he's going through is actually causing other people to have faith built up. The suffering he's going through and the way that he's going through it is teaching other people how to be able to suffer well so that they can find the hope in hard times. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings because it's for your sake. 
I, I now realize that when I'm suffering, somehow I'm closer to Christ than ever before. The fellowship of suffering. In some ways, when I suffer, I can look at it as a believer. I must be doing something right because Christ suffered. And if I'm going to follow Christ, then I'll probably have to suffer. So suffering is now not a, oh, no, what's happening? Everybody's dying. Uh. Suffering is also saying, well, maybe I'm on the right track. Now, if you're suffering because you're an idiot, you're just suffering because you're an idiot. You can't count that. Hey, you know. It's just, uh. No, you just stop being stupid. But if you're suffering for doing righteousness sake, you're suffering for doing the right thing, then some really, really supernatural spiritual reality, you are joining with Christ in a deep, profound way. And you're producing life for the church, for the people of God now and the people of God who come after us. And then he kind of says it one last time, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make fully known, um, to, to make the word of God fully known. A couple just little things there. Again, it's the same thing. He's realizing that all the things that happened to me actually are a benefit for somebody else. And, and, then, and, then, he, and then I love what he says here is to make um, known the word of God fully. And, and all I could say there, there's this quote by Walter Brueggemann. I, I'm not going to say it all, but basically what he's saying is, uh, you know, like never trust a, a skinny cook, you know? It's like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, you're too skinny to really love food, right? Uh, he's saying never, never trust someone who talks about hope that hasn't been through tons of suffering because their hope is gonna be a light, fluffy kind that really won't sustain you. Their anchor is not gonna be very deep. But if they have suffered a lot, then you listen very closely when they talk about hope. He actually says that those who have been through a lot, they can teach about hope much more vigorously. And that's what Paul's talking about here, to make fully known the Word of God. Sometimes the things that we wanna know about God, the only way to really know them is to go through some hard things. So if you're suffering today, this should, you should just be like, I'm nailing it, I'm killing it right now. This is amazing, um, sort of. I'm not trying to make light of it, but um, trying to bring a new perspective, a heavenly perspective. But then the second thing he says in here about suffering um, is really to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are, are the, the riches of the glory of this mystery. He's talking about this mystery that hasn't been known for generations and generations. And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what Paul's saying there in his own life, for all his life, Paul grew up a real good, um, ardent Jewish uh, student. As a young boy, he grew up to be a powerful uh, Jewish rabbi, pro, uh, Pharisee. And uh, he, he just really thought he understood the plan of God perfectly. And he actually, anybody who thought they knew the plan of God and it was different than the plan of God that he knew, he beat him up and tried to get him in prison and all those things. And then one day, he was walking on the road to Damascus and a bright light shone, blinded him, literally, and knocked him down. And then there was this voice that came out of this kind of moment and said, Saul, Saul, which was his name, why are you persecuting me? Why are you going in the exact opposite direction that I want you to go? Why are you not able to understand what I'm really doing? 
Why are you telling people about the plan that I have that is not my plan at all? And he said, who are you? And the voice said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And for the first time in that blindness, Paul got to see what God was up to. That God was not trying to just bring about a small little group of Jewish radicals who had done enough work in their own flesh to clean their lives up. Lives up. But that God was actually, he was after the whole world. He wanted everyone to be invited to the party. And that Jesus was the one who opened the doors for everyone. Jesus is the one that could bring the hope that everyone had. Jesus was the one that could steal Paul's anger from his own life and leave him with peace. And he actually spent the rest of his life getting on boats and going to the far, far reaches of the world to tell people, you're invited to the party! Jesus wants you too. You don't have to live without hope anymore. You don't have to live without, without love, without peace, without joy. Can't talk about those. That's next week. Um, so that's what he's saying. There was this mystery long ago that was revealed to him, and he wanted to reveal it to everybody. And now we're going to finish understanding what this mystery is, Christ in you, with some gingerbread man. Okay. So go ahead and pop those gingerbread men up. This was not supposed to be gingerbread men. It was actually just horrible drawings. Um, But now, because it's Christmas and that red, it's like gingerbread men, yeah? You with me? So it's all, it's gingerbread men. They're gonna teach us about Christ in you. So this is what Paul realized on that day and began to experience as he continued to follow Jesus. It's what he taught everyone else as he went. And it's what we preach here and it's what we've experienced, most of us in this room. But basically that when we are born into this world, we are born with a sinful nature. We are born of the seed of Adam. Adam and Eve sinned, and so everyone born of their seed has this broken nature, a sinful nature. There's something within us that pulls us away from the things of God. A good example, you don't teach a little, little baby, a little kid how to be selfish, right? If you are, stop it, that's horrible. But if you, if you don't teach it, but then all of a sudden they're like, mine. And when they say mine, it's different than when they say the other words. It's like, dada, mama, mine. <laughs> You're just like, what? What just happened to you? You don't teach them that. It's, it's just built in. Comes with the package. Free. No extra charge for that. And we all know, if we're honest, we have this thing that's pulling against. And and what Genesis chapter 6 says is that the Spirit of God will not always strive with mankind. So there's this wrestling match before we come to Christ, as we go in this world, where the Spirit of God is kind of just there and convicting us or or condemning us, like, oh, it just kind of, hey, you can't do that, or you're going the wrong way, or what? It's just just this constant battle. Yes, we have a conscience inside us. The Spirit uses that, but the Holy Spirit is different than just that. And so we're in this wrestling match, and so, you know, when you do things wrong, there's a part of you that, it's not doesn't seem right. And there's something always you say, you should go this way, you should go this way, and you're like, I don't want to go that way. And there's just kind of this battle going on. And that's the state of, of humanity for those who haven't received Christ. And then, gingerbread man number two, those who receive Christ, like Paul did, like I have, like you know, the thief on the cross, woman at the well, like many in this room, you come to a point where you receive 
Christ. And what the Bible teaches is that literally the Spirit of Christ comes and dwells inside your mortal bodies. Your physical body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. I know it's wild. I didn't make it up. If I was trying to sell some kind of religion, I would not be making this stuff up. So it's either crazy or it's true. But that God comes and dwells inside you. And those of us who have walked with Jesus, we, we know that experience. And it's not like all of a sudden now there's like two heartbeats, like bum, bum, bum. No, it's, it's still you, but there's something else. There is a force at work inside you that's different. One that's pulling you and opening your eyes and helping you see a different way. And then actually giving you the strength to walk in it. And the wrestling match continues. And then, you know, excuse me, <clears throat> gingerbread man number three is the goal is that in our discipleship with Christ, in our following our Christ, our journey with Christ, is that sinful nature becomes less and less influential in our lives. And that the Spirit of God become, grows in us, becomes more influential. Until eventually when people are hanging out with us, sometimes they feel like, hey, you remind me of Christ, or the way you said that, the way you did that, it was so encouraging to me, and you're like, what? Because you know the thoughts in your own head. You know how hard you have to fight that sinful nature. But every once in a while, other people get to see something beautiful in you. And that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Christ doing his work in you. And then here's the promise of all. Here's the greatest thing in all. This is the real hope of glory. This is glorious. The hope that Christ would come and dwell in us, that's a glorious hope. The, the, the hope that Christ can grow in us, that's a glorious hope. But then the next slide, check this gingerbread man out. It's like a gingerbread man within a gingerbread man. It's not supposed to be like that. It just looks like that. It's kind of like growing that one arm. It's just growing out. Whoa. Um, don't pay attention too much to that. Um, but, but the goal is that, or, or the, the promise of, of, of the scriptures is that there will be a day when we die or when Christ returns where we will no longer have a sinful nature. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. The war will finally be over. And the promise is that you will have a sinful nature until that day, but it doesn't have to rule you anymore. So that's a hope of glory, but then there's the hope of the other glory. That's the glory I'm so looking forward to. Freedom. Freedom. But the work has begun already. The glory has come already, and that's the message that Paul's trying to do. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, with that being said, like we said, Christ turns suffering into something hopeful. Christ's hope brings endurance and stamina, but you can't have Christ's hope without receiving Christ. And so today, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give everybody in here a chance to receive the hope of Christ, especially those who maybe have never received Jesus. Never reached out to Jesus. I lived for a while without holding Jesus' hand. I thought I could do it all in my own strength, in my own wisdom. But that ran out real quick. And then I heard Jesus say, hey, reach out your hand. And I'll take it. And I will lead you. And fill you with my hope. Will you bow your heads with me? And I don't know what fills your mind when you close your eyes and bow your heads, but I'm asking you to kind of pay attention to your thoughts right now. 
And if you are, you are someone here, you, don't, you didn't come here thinking there'd be a big deal, but, but something has spoken to you or there's some reality in your life where you're just saying you need help. I, I promise you it is so simple to receive Jesus. Now walking with him is hard. But receiving him is so very easy. You just, you just ask. You just reach out and take his hand. And if you're ready to do that today, you've never done it before, but today you're saying, I want to reach out and take Jesus' hand. I want to receive Christ. Will you just raise up your hand real quick? Just raise that up. Keep it up there, yeah. Jesus sees that hand. I know it might not seem like much, but it's huge. That's awesome, you guys. Take a little longer for you stubborn people. You need a little more time. The wrestling match is on. Just raise up that hand if you're ready. All right, you with your hands up, will you just repeat a prayer after me? And everybody can pray this if they want, but it's just a prayer of receiving Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I need your hope. I'm reaching out to you today. Will you take my hand and lead me to life now and forevermore. Will you teach me to walk in your ways? I believe that you are the Lord. And I believe you have risen from the dead. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.